Welcome to the Seven Figure Fundraising Podcast, the podcast where we discuss specific tactics and strategies to grow your nonprofit. I'm your host, Trevor Bragdon. Today, we're going to be continuing our series on the psychology of fundraising. And we're going to be looking at the psychology of renewing donors. So I'm joined today with my brother and co-founder of Seven Figure Fundraising, Taryn Bragdon. Welcome. Thanks. It's nice to be talking with you. Well, let's dive in. Last episode, we talked a lot about the psychology when it comes to new donors and how you kind of have to approach them differently than renewing donors. But one of the things we cover in our class and in our workshops is how important renewing donors are for your organization and the easiest way to grow your fundraising is from these renewing donors. So I want to really unpack kind of the big picture and look at different aspects of renewing a donor and how we should think about treating them differently and how we should approach it. So I want to just kick off by first starting and talking about the three reasons why donors give. So if you think about it and you kind of look and you do surveys of various major donors, it really comes down to three big buckets of why these donors give. The first reason donors give is because of the people. These are either the leadership of the organization. If you're running a nonprofit listening to this, they're giving because they like you as the leader, or it's because of the people that you serve with your nonprofit. So the top reason donors give is because of that connection to the leadership or the people you're serving. Now, the second reason donors give is because of the mission and the vision of your nonprofit. You know, a lot of times people think that's the number one reason, but it's actually second. But donors are excited about the work you're doing and the impact that you're having in your sector of the nonprofit world. So it makes sense that they would give to the mission and vision as well. And then the third reason donors give is because of the execution, your unique way of doing and meeting the mission and vision of your organization. We all know various nonprofits all working in the same industry or same space, but they do things a little different. So a lot of times donors like the unique way you're executing on that mission and vision. Now that we've looked at each of these three reasons, we're going to break down each one of them and unpack the psychology behind it and how you can take this information and apply it to your own nonprofit and help you get those existing donors to renew and hopefully give more. So Taryn, let's start by just looking at how should we be thinking about major donors, like from the big picture perspective as you as a CEO of a nonprofit? Well, I think one of the things that is really important is to remember where the money comes from. And for a lot of people, I think they tend to tunnel in on small donors because they really admire kind of people who are giving in seemingly a sacrificial way or the breadth of maybe the small donors that they have, but there's an opportunity cost. And so it's really important to focus on major donors. And I think the thing to remember is your nonprofit is no different than any business. And businesses are ruled by the 80-20 rule. And what that simply means is almost in every business, 20% of the customers provide 80% of the revenue. This is even true of businesses that, you know, you might not think about, say like a grocery store. 
80% of the grocery sales come from a core group of shoppers who might be in there, you know, one, two, even three times a week versus those people who, you know, buy once for two or three weeks and probably are a lot more judicious with their grocery bill. Same is true for airlines, hotels. That's why they have these rewards clubs focused on those 20% of customers providing 80% of the revenue. Now, what's interesting about nonprofits is this focus on major donors is even more true. So nationally, just 10% of the donors provide 90% of the revenue. And so that 10% of the donors is a small portion, but has a big impact. And specifically, when you focus on getting those 10% to renew, it can have a transformative impact on your organization. And I'm really glad we're talking about this because I think it's very trendy or, you know, it, it might be exciting to think about how do I go out and reach new donors? How do I convince people who are not aware of our nonprofit at all to give for the first time? But the reality is your best market are your existing givers because they've already bought in. They know you. They understand what you're all about. They like you. And they're really committed with seeing you become even more successful and having a bigger impact. So you want to focus your time and effort on this big customer that's already a customer and figuring out how you can leverage, inspire, and partner with them to go even further. I think this is just really, really important because a lot of times it can be scary for people to get in front of somebody they've never met before. But meeting with an existing donor or developing out that relationship is like reconnecting with a friend. And it's a really pleasant thing. And it turns out it's pleasant for both sides, not only you as the nonprofit fundraiser, but it's also pleasant for the donor because they enjoy doing they enjoy being part of your organization. Otherwise, they wouldn't write that check. Yeah. So in some ways, it's like this first psychology of renewing donors is almost your own psychology and really thinking about, you know, focusing on what you have already, like with your existing donors, because that's where your biggest chance of renewing. These are people already committed to you and kind of sometimes changing that mindset of the shiny object, you know, that closing that donor you've always wanted to close. That might be great. But coming back and just remembering, you could probably have most of the donors you need already to grow. That's really true. I want to camp on that statement you made because it's important for people to understand uh, and accept this. You likely have all the donors you need right now to double the revenue for your organization. And I don't just say that as, you know, some late night commercial. I say that based on our own experience as a nonprofit. You know, this year we'll raise between 18 and 19 million. And what has over the last 11 years, we've built that up from 50,000 in seed money to almost 19 million this year. And what's happened is we've gotten this core group of major givers. We've inspired, they've helped us double. And then we've brought a few more on, inspired them. They've helped us double again and repeat, repeat over time. And so it really is this formula that works. And it's also fun. It's a lot less intimidating. It's a lot more enjoyable. And one of the things that's been really interesting to me is I'm in my mid-40s right now, and my wife and I have really prioritized giving. And so I start thinking about this not only from the perspective as a fundraiser, but also as the perspective as a giver. And 
the organizations that we give to in a significant way, I'm not annoyed by them engaging with me. I'm delighted by it. And I enjoy getting that random phone call, hearing about you know something significant or reading an update of how our gift is having a big impact. And so it's been really helpful for me to become a better steward and partner with donors by being a donor myself. I think that's such an interesting point on getting both sides of those perspectives to help you be not only more charitable yourself, but also get that bigger picture look. And that's really a good setup for this next part where we just focus on the people. We've talked a little bit about these donors, but let's look at this whole thing with why donors give to the leadership of the organization. So that sometimes is surprising to folks where, you know, they think it's mission and vision is usually the number one reason, but they're giving to people. So how does that change how a nonprofit leader should interact with their donors and really think about themselves, but also think about their donors differently? Well, first and foremost, this is why the fundraising has to be the number one job of the CEO, because this is the number one reason that people give to your organization, not because they're caught up in a cult of personality, but a lot of times the major donor, you know, that person who's writing a six or seven figure check, they were likely the head of or still are the head of or in a really senior leadership position in whatever organization they use to make their money. And so one, they like to interact with you as a leader peer. And that really sets up that peer of your partner, you're partnering with them. And they're used to doing that across a whole host of business relationships. And so you're actually tapping into a, a psychology or a partnership that is very familiar to that major donor. You know, we talk in the workshop about how you don't want to be a supplicant. This isn't they're patting you on the head and giving you sympathy money. This is an exciting partnership from one leader to the other. And just like every partnership, uh, whether that's in business or in marriage, it takes two and each are equally important. And so you're tapping into that as the leader of the organization with interacting with donors with that partnership mindset. I was just talking to a guy at a nonprofit and he was telling me he's not the head of uh, the nonprofit, but he told me that the CEO doesn't want to fundraise. Well, that is a great way to go bankrupt because the truth is your organization will rise and fall on how well the CEO can fundraise. But what we have seen, Trevor, and this is really exciting, is from you know more than 300 people who have gone through the workshop, we have yet to meet a CEO that doesn't have the passion to be a great fundraiser. Usually it's just the stuff around it of how to really tap into what's there, but maybe it needs to be said in a you know more pithy uh, and compelling way, or maybe they need a structure to really maximize what they're great at and to have staff and structure to support what they're not great at because we're all not great at a bunch of stuff. And so part of what you want to do with this partnership is really think about it in a different way. So some things that we use that have really been effective with structuring this partnership and having that partnership mindset with a donor. First and foremost, we only ask for money once a year. So why this isn't so important is you don't want to feel like every conversation is going to be a shakedown for money if you're a donor. You want to know that this relationship has a regular cadence 
and that once a year we're going to sit down on your timetable for giving, not on mine as the fundraiser, but once a year we're going to sit down and ask you for a major gift and probably lay out a compelling pitch of what we'll do if you renew or maybe even renew an increase. That's important for people to understand because they don't want to wonder when am I going to be asked for money or feel like you're always being asked for money. Like we probably all have some relative that has asked us for money. And then every call after that, we're kind of wondering, is this going to be another uh, you know, request for money? Well, you don't want to have that same kind of relationship with your major donors. And so it's important that you treat them like a partner and you're transparent about what the cadence of that partnership looks like. And what's going on here from a psychology perspective is this is all about the framing of how you're presenting yourself in your organization to the donors. So by thinking of yourself as a partner and thinking of your donors as partners, you're framing everything about how you talk about the organization. You're framing what you just said, Taryn, about how you only ask for once a year, like it's a partnership. And so by understanding this framing, sets up all of these different interactions, really can dictate and make your life as a fundraiser so much easier. It helps you get out of the poverty mindset we talk about and these different kind of negative thoughts and patterns that we all have. But it also just helps you interact with your donors and also your staff knowing what to do as they're going throughout the year. And we have a great episode. It's actually our number one most downloaded episode is episode 43, where we talk about how do you create a five-star donor experience for your donors. I encourage, if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and listen to that. It's a great way to talk about, you know, why you need to prioritize treating them well and treating them like a partner throughout the year. So what's going on when you go through all of that and, you know, you have the framing of the partnership, but then throughout the year when you're interacting with them, what you're doing is you're reminding them of your organization and why you exist. I know that sounds crazy, like you think, well, people know I exist, right? And they haven't forgotten about me. But the reality is we're all really busy and you might go a week or two, even if you write a six or seven figure check to a nonprofit, not thinking about them. And so by interacting in a positive way where you're talking and telling about the work you're doing, you're reminding them that they exist and you're also just reinforcing that mission, that vision of the organization. And they call this the mirror exposure effect. And what that really is, is just the more times we're exposed to an idea, whether it's uh, just a random symbol that we haven't seen before and we start seeing it over and over again, or, you know, this is why like candidate lawn signs work. Like you don't know who's running for county commissioner and you keep seeing this guy's name over and over again. And then you're more likely to vote for that person just because you become familiar with the name. Even if it's something where you know nothing else about it, you'll be more likely to do that. So that's called the mirror exposure effect. And that's what goes on with your donors. They just become more comfortable because you're already doing good work. You already have that connection by having a really thoughtful way of interacting with them throughout the year. So what do these interactions look like, Taryn, where you can kind of have an intentional interaction with your donors when you're not giving to them? or when you're not asking them to give. So I think you're really diving in on an important aspect of this is every interaction needs to be intentional. And you need to remind them, I think it's such a critical point you're making, you have to remind them about 
what you are as an organization and what you do and the impact that it has. And part of this is also a gift. You know, people who are major givers are giving to a bunch of different organizations and you are reminding them a little bit of here's what we do and here's uh, why we do it is also just a gentle way for them to not feel stupid if they can't quite remember it or not understand the context of maybe a great story you are trying to communicate to them. And so one of the things that we intentionally do is through our series of interactions, we want to tell a specific story over time and reinforce certain things about what we do. Because as a big organization, we're doing a bunch of stuff. I can't tell you as a donor about all of it, but I can zoom in on one memorable story that's sticky. And then I can zoom out on here's the impact of a bunch of those stories together uh, at a high level, which reinforces the uh, big gift that you're giving. And so part of what we do is ensuring that we are zooming in and then like telling that big picture on a regular basis. It might be easier to talk about this for an education nonprofit. So we've had a lot of education uh, nonprofits, whether it's after school programs or uh, programs serving disadvantaged kids, go through the course. I've been on uh, the board of an organization like this locally in Naples. Do tremendous work. Uh, the stories of kids impacted are great. And so you might be telling a series of stories over the course of a year that showcase all the different kinds of kids and families that you're working with. And then at the same time, what you might do is zoom out and talk at a high level about how many of these folks you have impacted and maybe what are some new strategies or groups or regions that you've gone into. But what you're doing is you are reminding them of the face of the people that are being impacted. And then at the same time, you're reminding them of the scope. And what I find reinforcing this whole people give because of people is you're communicating as the leader to those major donors. So you're reinforcing that direct partnership from the head of the organization to the donor. But at the same time, they're giving because of people, as you mentioned, also the people that are being served. And so you're telling them really specific stories about those people that you're serving. And that's such a good pairing to do when you're presenting to donors is pairing the logic with the emotion. Because we like to think we're all kind of rational Spock-like beings that make up our decisions only on data, but that's really not true. What we typically do is we have an emotional response to something we hear and then we back it up with data. So, you know, I might really like something and I'll tell you like, cause I had an emotional response to a pitch, but I might tell you it's because, oh, it's because of the scope, but I'll relay likely the story itself that was told. So anytime you have that, you know, big picture data on, you know, here's how many kids we impacted it, like an education nonprofit, pairing it with a story makes it that one, two punch. And it doesn't really matter. You can do the logic first, you know, talk about it big picture, then dive into the details, or you can do like you just mentioned, tell the story first and then roll it up. And this is what it means at scale. So always having that combination of those two logic plus emotion works really well. Let's move to that second reason donors give, giving because of the mission and the vision of the organization. Now, with most donors, they have that strong emotional connection to the mission and vision. Usually it's something personal to them. You know, maybe it's a life experience. Maybe they're just really concerned about this, but there's usually some sort of connection. What's a way that you've found for helping reinforce this connection to the mission and vision not just at the times when they're giving, but 
you know, mid-year or at different points in the year to remind them of that connection that they have to the mission. So this is really key because you might have an annual report. You might even have like a mid-year update that provides a high-level look at what's going on. But what we have found is monthly-ish. So think when I say ish, it might be four, six, seven weeks. Every so often, you are then putting out kind of a, a major update to the donors, uh, to the major donors. So the, this is something that's written by me, uh, refined in a really significant way by our development shop and communications staff. Sometimes it might be just one story that's really compelling. That's a great example, like we just talked about. Other times, it might be this high-level roll-up. I'm actually literally in the middle of doing one of these right now, which we do a lot of work uh, in the States. So this is my roll-up of, here's all the different things we've done in the States over the last six months. Here are three specific examples. And then here's some new stuff. And I want to highlight three things new that we're doing moving forward. And so this one is, think of it like a two-page update, and it's a major one. The next one after that will just be about one story, a deep dive of something really complicated we did, and explaining everything that went into, that for us, this one policy change. Or in the example we were just talking about with an education nonprofit, it might be a deep dive on a complicated kid or family that you helped and really kind of diving into that story. Think 300 words uh, of really diving into that. So these monthly-ish updates are really key and they just remind people about the details of their investment or that partnership. And what we've found is this. We talked about that once a year asking for money. I find that lots of our major donors have a folder where they print off these emails and they review them before in-person sit-downs. So it's not just a one and done for them. It's a reminder, and then they review it before they sit down, just like they would with any business investment that they have. So that's a really important strategy, those monthly-ish updates. Sometimes they're detailed and high-level. Sometimes they zoom right in on a compelling and sticky story. And a great story people will remember for years as the example of why they feel so great about partnering with your nonprofit. Yeah. And I know a lot of times when nonprofit leaders hear this advice, they think, you know, we already do a newsletter to our donors. This is different because it's an individual email coming from you as the CEO to them. So you're customizing the email. It's not a mass. It's not going out through your email service. This is a one-on-one -on -one email customized to your donors to give them a high-level update of what's going on. Exactly. And it's personalized. So I tend to personalize like the first paragraph of it or maybe something in it as well. And so it's a, a little more direct that they know it's coming directly from me. And it's personalized oftentimes with referencing something that is specific to an interaction that I had with that donor. Right. So these take you a ton of time to do. Yeah. But if you think about, say it's a four hour investment from start to finish every six weeks, a four-hour investment with the 20% of people that provide 80% of the revenue or with the 10% of people that provide 90%, there's probably literally no better four hours for me to spend. Right. And it's all about creating that system so you can have time to you write the big block of text, you know, and then going through and making sure you're personalizing it so it has that extra impact with the donor. Because you could do half of that and send the same generic thing to everyone but it's probably going to have a third of the impact, you know, 25% of the impact as 
taking that extra time to make it personal, make it connect with them on that different level. So one thing you mentioned that I think is really interesting is what you're planning to do with your next update, where you're diving deep into one of the specific things you guys were able to do this year and kind of diving deep into the actual details of the execution, which is that third reason donors give. And sometimes I think when we have people come through the fundraising training, we find that nonprofit leaders tend to kind of fall into two camps. There's people who are really good over here at telling the story side of things and they're really good at making that emotional connection. And then we have people who work as leaders of nonprofits because they're really great operators and they're really good at the details and the diving really deep. And so a lot of times when you hear their pitches, you know, an operator will be really in the weeds on how they do the work. And then you'll have the more emotion-based CEO tell great stories, but you need those combo of the two, like we just discussed earlier. And I think one of the ways you can do this is really thinking about your work and how you're pitching it to the donor in doing this, you know, both in your pitch when you're asking for a renewal, but also throughout the year where you're explaining that execution side and explaining that complicated work you do in an interesting way and helping them understand it at a deeper level. Why this matters is because donors care about results. Like a lot of these people have built companies, they've been successful, they've managed very large organizations or large businesses, and they actually like to know details and they find it interesting. Like you have a unique way of interacting in the market or in the case of this example of a school, after school nonprofit, you might've found that there's a really unique sequence of questions you asked that connects with the student. You know, they love hearing about these level of details. So the key is like really thinking about how you can talk about the execution side, the actual work you do and make it interesting so the donors are even more curious and want to learn more, but you're also showing we're really good at the work we do. So this is uh, an area where uh, I've learned a lot from you because you're much more clever than I am, Trevor, about thinking up clever ways to and that are sticky to tell an interesting story. And some compelling visual that's part of your presentation, whether that's at that annual ask meeting where you're asking them to renew and maybe even increase, or even to bring back part of that visual for an update meeting to connect the dots is really key. I was meeting with this handler for a billionaire recently, and he referenced, he made a joke about a presentation I had given him five years ago. Wow. And so, I thought, okay, here's a guy who works for a guy with a lot of money, but who is also very generous. So he hears a lot of presentations for nonprofits, and I'm sure most of them are forgettable. But by working a little harder to make it sticky and make it compelling, it became memorable. And a lot of times, and we see this over and over in the workshop, and I experience it over and over in my own life, the difference between okay and great and memorable is usually just a couple more hours of brainstorming and planning. And you've been really great helping me do that and become more compelling. And I know you have done the exact same thing for a lot of other nonprofits. And so if you think about just what's a more interesting way to explain this and are compelling like that, that's worth 
like a thousand presentations that are forgettable. So one really great and sticky one. And sometimes you can use that visual as a way of explaining how your organization executes, of kind of explaining your whole theory of change or how you do what you do. And as you said, like what makes you stand out from some other organization? So if you were that education nonprofit we were just talking about, maybe what you do is a little different than the traditional after-school program. Think of some compelling way to explain that, not just, you know, giving me a copy of the syllabus or walking me through the details of it, but what's some compelling way. And if you're able to do that, then you're going to have a donor that's not only remembers it, but they use that example when they talk to their friends. And it's a great way for their friends to become referrals and ultimately donors of your nonprofit. And that all starts with really thinking about curiosity. Like from the donor's perspective, what would they be curious about? So sometimes the actual doing of the work can seem boring to you as a nonprofit leader, but you got to like think about the framing. And this is something like when we work together on this, you think about like, okay, what's something we do? And you kind of start and talk about the details. And then you think about like why it matters. And then you think about on top of that, what's the question that we're answering with this work? Like, what is the kind of counterintuitive, if there's a counterintuitive angle to it, that can be appealing to the donor. If there's a reason, you know, we think that something is X, but it really is Y, that's a good setup that you can use. It's hard kind of talking about these in abstract ways, but it's usually where it's something is a little surprising or a little counterintuitive is what makes it sticky. So one way that you can do this yourself and kind of a quick framework is you can either ask a question and then talk about why you have considered this and kind of lay out a couple of possibilities of an answer and then talk about your solution and why you do it this way. So this can be an opportunity to explain your theory of change. This can be explained, you know, the unique way you do it and then wrap it up at the end on big picture on what that means. Another way to do it is first giving the big picture first, like this is a really complicated problem. Let me break it down with a specific story. And then through that story, you talk about the different ways that you execute and how you've helped. So this is like the example, Taryn, you mentioned earlier, you know, you can take the story of one child who has a difficult upbringing and how the after school program helps out. So you might start with talking about the big picture first of there's 10,000 kids who struggle with whatever uh, the challenge is and be like, what does that mean? Well, after school, and then you talk about how you interact differently and then share some unique kind of sticky examples in that story. And then you wrap it up with, and that's why we've expanded. And now we're helping kids in 120 different schools around the state. And you could even talk about, you know, and that's why we're trying to grow because we realize, you know, the 120 schools is not enough. And that's why we're hoping to double in size over the next three years. So you're really kind of laying out that case by talking about the execution and the actual work you're doing. I think that's a really great framework of letting donors dive a little bit deeper into the execution. The only thing that I would add to that is feel free to tell the donor about things you tried that didn't work. Because a lot of times that donor is also an entrepreneur, or even if they're not, they tend to be curious. 
and they're into you and the work that you're doing. So feel free to talk about, we really thought this, we tried it, it did not work, but what we discovered in the process was this other thing, and this is going to allow us to scale up like you just mentioned and go into a bunch of other schools. So sometimes people find really interesting the sort of framework of, I thought this, it wasn't true, but we discovered that this this other thing was true. And it's a great way to just let people know you're constantly doing a better job at the work you're doing, at the execution of your nonprofit. And what the donor will hear as you're relating that is, I am getting more and more value for my donation because they're getting better at the work that they're doing, which is exciting because that means more people will be impacted for my gift. And if I increase my gift, even more people will be impacted. And it's more honest, right? Because most of the time, it's not all good news. You know, you have good news and great, like if you say, you know, you have that line. I used to think it was about telling good news and great news, but you can be honest, like we tried this and it didn't work, but it led to innovating to this. So it's a more honest conversation. So I think we're near time. We're trying to keep these episodes a little shorter, but full of a lot of valuable information. So just to wrap up, there's three big reasons that donors give. They give because of people, because of the mission and vision, and they give because of the execution of your nonprofit. And just remember, you got to focus on those major donors. Think of the 80-20 rule or really the 90-10 rule. 10% of donors are providing 90% of the resources. The only thing you can't get more of is time. And so you need to focus your time on that 10% to have the biggest impact. And it all starts with that partnership mindset. You want to treat those major donors as a partner because they really are. And it takes both of you, you on the nonprofit side, executing and them giving to meet the big mission of your organization. And you want to make that clear connection for the donors between the mission and the vision. And you do that throughout the year by explaining the execution of how you do the work and executing well yourself. You can have the best marketing, the best packaging, the best donors, but if you're not executing the mission, it's for nothing. So making sure you're doing the execution well and then telling your donors about it. And with that, we're going to wrap up the psychology of major donors. I want to remind folks that we have a workshop coming up that's going to be starting on September 27th, and it's a live online workshop. We do it two hours a day, two times a week. It's Tuesday and Thursday, midday on the East Coast, and it goes on for three weeks. We go through all of the aspects that we've highlighted today, going through where to find new donors, how to grow your existing donors, and then also how do you develop a pitch to talk to your donors and get them to increase and then we talk about a system of having and managing all of these different parts of your major donors, your staff, so you can have a highly effective development shop. We do that all with a seven-figure fundraising workshop. You can find out more at the number sevenfigurefundraising.com. So I just encourage you, if you've been thinking about this, you find this information valuable, join the workshop this coming fall with our September 27th seven-figure fundraising workshop. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in our upcoming workshop, visit our website at sevenfigurefundraising.com. 
We conduct these workshops twice a year in March and September, and we've broken these workshops up so you can take them live online with six two-hour courses spread over three weeks. We'll send you a workbook and other class materials to make it really easy for you to follow along. In fact, this is what one of our students, Austin, said about his experience in our workshop. Hi, my name is Austin Brooks. I'm an executive director of a nonprofit called Midland Institute for Entrepreneurship. I took seven-figure fundraising 18 months ago. And since that course, um, two things I want to share. One is the results. Two is what I didn't expect. And the results as a nonprofit, even though we reach into 10 states, even though we're working in 320 high schools, um, we've always had a pretty small donor base. And what's been so powerful in the results that we've seen since this course is I've successfully been able to recruit and add some new donors that had never previously been given to our organization. And then more importantly, there's this idea that's going to be shared in this course called the dynamic dozen. You have to take the course to figure out what it's about. But within our dynamic dozen, we had five donors increase their giving in a big way. And between that and the new donors, this has been a game changer for our growing nonprofit. But the second thing that I really took away that really matters is just the mindset shift. What I had, wasn't expecting was how much my mindset needed to shift, how much I had to shift my poverty thinking or my scarcity mindset to realizing that whether there's a recession, whether we lose a couple donors, if your organization is doing good work, more people need to know about it. And so the confidence that I gained in terms of talking to high level individuals who believe in our mission has just grown. And what's been more um, impressive than anything is the proof has been in the actual donors we've gained. So if I can do this, I believe you can. You can't miss this course. You got to take it. If you're interested in attending, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com. We hope to see you there. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please take 60 seconds to leave a review. Thanks a lot and good luck with your fundraising.